Good morning. Good morning, everyone. You guys, if you guys are coming in, y'all come and grab a seat. Let me say welcome to everyone in this room and then those of you who are joining us on our live stream. Uh, we, we know that gathering together is always a privilege. Uh, it's, a, it's a command. God tells us to gather together and meet together, but it's also a privilege where we can all come together, especially after the last year that we've got to endure where we weren't meeting together regularly. So uh, as we are here, I hope God has uh, already begun to stir things in you. And in just a moment, I'm going to, we're going to have an open mic where I'm going to have you answer a couple questions. The first question is, uh, where have you seen Jesus this week? Where have you encountered him uh, this week? That can be he answered a prayer. That could be he just gave me a little extra grace. That could also be uh, where, like what I'm going to mention, a new birth has happened within our family. Uh, Baby David Eichner has been born. We are super happy. I don't know if they're joining us in live stream, but if they are, we are really happy for that. April 29th. So we're going to celebrate that. So as we, you guys, if you've been here before, you know that we start with a call to worship. And so for us, what a great call to worship than to acknowledge what God has done in the previous week or two. So uh, I'm going to get Brad to be my my runner this morning. And I'm just going to ask, where have you seen Jesus this week? Where have you encountered him? Where have you experienced him? And where have you, uh, I don't know, been filled with joy and just worship because of what he has done this week? Our MC got to gather this Wednesday, uh, this past Wednesday afternoon. It was a gorgeous evening, and it was just so, so good. I think Paul summed it up best when he said, we're just to be back together. What a gift this is, and that's what it felt like, just what a gift this is to be able to gather back together as a family with our missional community. Thanks, Alyssa. Anyone else this morning? Katie? Thank you. Um, last week we sang, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. If you were here, it was at the end of the service. And God has just used that song to bless me so much this week. I've listened to several different versions of it. And it's just been a sweet reminder that when our eyes are on Him, all the other stuff in the world just fades away. And so I've just felt a lot of joy this week reflecting on that song and the promises that it, it shows us about Him and um, what life with Him is like. And so that's just been a sweet part of my week. And um, I especially listened to it on Thursday. I work for Tennessee Kids Belong, and we did a video shoot Thursday um, where we videoed, I think it was 14 kids who are in foster care, whose parental rights have been terminated and they need a family. And so it was my first time to get to interview kids for that. And some, some folks from Mercy Hill came and volunteered. And it was just a sweet time. And it was pouring down rain. Like, I don't know if you remember Thursday morning, it was awful. <laughs> And we were supposed to do all outside activities. And so on the way there, I was really disappointed because we were supposed to zip line and do a ropes course and all these things. And God just said, just turn your eyes upon me today. Uh, I've got this. You don't have to try to be in control because I am. And he just reminded me that, um, that he, that day, and it was a joy. And so you can be praying for those kids that they have family soon. Thanks, Katie. Anyone else? Miss Erlene. Good morning, everybody. I have a son that has uh, renal disease, and he caught coronavirus, and his nerves were messed up really, really bad uh, after he caught the coronavirus, and he wouldn't, wouldn't be able to walk this aisle. Well, the family has been praying for him, 
And yesterday, he took me to lunch, and we walked the mall. And he, he says that he has no, uh, thank God. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. Hey, how's it going, Aaron here? Um, <laughs> didn't know I'd be sharing a second weekend in a row, but hey. Um, I uh, found God today in Overton Park of all, or this week, this past week in Overton Park of all places. I was ready to just walk on home and then a good chunk of the church was right there at Overton Park. And so I spent probably about, what, like three or four hours, I think. Yeah, at Overton Park and then went home. So uh, that's where I found God today. And, and then also um, you kind of find him in like the least likely of places a lot of times. Um, you know, when you're kind of ego gets in the way of a lot of things, uh, you find that God kind of steps in there and be like, okay, what are you doing? You know, that's kind of the vibe I get, I guess. And so, um, yeah, I found God in that and kind of had a pretty big breakthrough where I, I told some loved ones, you know, I'm letting go of all this anger that I've held on to, like, up for pretty much most of my life. Hmm. So um, that was a pretty big thing, and that was just the other day. So, um, yeah, that's where I found God today. Uh, this week, this, this past week. So. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Good morning, y'all. Um, as I was listening to Katie, I was reminded of that Thursday also. To me, that the place that we were at was called call it something else now, and I didn't recognize the road <laughs> or anything. I remember one time I, I crashed my car on that old country road, and so I hadn't driven past that place in like 20 years. I'm an old man now, I guess. Anyways, um, I had a lot of memories there, some good, some bad. But then to see all those kids who were needing families, that really hit me. Like, I, I took that home with me. Um, and all I could do, I, I told Katie and Brad, was that afternoon we just kind of lay on the couch, you know, hmm. after working with some of those kids. And um, as a foster dad and as an adoptive dad, sometimes that's overwhelming. Just the continued need is kind of crushing sometimes. But where I felt, where I felt Christ move was I, I felt inclined to reach out to a man who had taken some of the young people out to throw hatchets. I was like, I, I dig this dude. Like he's, <laughs> he's going to take these young folks out into the rain and teach them how to throw hatchets. I was like, that's, that's a man after God's own heart, in my opinion. And um, long story short, I, I went and I chatted with him for about an hour. And just in the, in the course of talking to him, I realized God was stirring in, in his heart and in his wife's heart to someday maybe be a foster or adoptive family. And so just to see that evidence that, yes, God is still working in this area. He's still calling people to serve in this way. Even if I'm kind of out of the game right now, there's others who are being called into the game. And these, God is, continues to be a father to the fatherless. Um, a, and it's just very encouraging. It goes beyond me or, or you or this particular gathering of the faith that goes out into other areas of the city, goes across our country, God's heart, and across around our world, God's heart for for people who are uh, broken. Um, and that really is true religion, like James says, that, you know, taking care of widows and orphans, those who are marginalized. So God is there in the margins, right? If you make him the center of your life, you will find him there. Thank y'all. Yeah, thanks, Ben. That's great. All right, well, if you guys would stand and join me in a word of prayer before we sing together as a family. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. That because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that, that we can approach you with confidence, that we can come to you, and we know that you are a good Father to us. 
I thank you that, that this morning that we know that your spirit is already at work. One, by what you've, we've already heard together. But two, you don't stop working in our hearts. You actually brought us here all together for a reason and a purpose. So we trust that. We trust that you're going to move and that you're going to speak and, and that you're going to be glorified and honored through your people, through your church this morning. Help us to do so. Help us to make much of Jesus and little of us. Forgive us when we try to bring all glory to ourselves. We want to worship you this morning. We want to worship Jesus. So help us to do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would look to the screens with me, it, uh, our call to worship comes from Habakkuk 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fall, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And First Chronicles 16, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. If you would bow your head with me. You come to a time of confession. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I've done and by what I've left undone. God, I've not loved you with my whole heart. I've not lo loved my neighbors as myself. I'm truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. If you look, would look at the screens with me at Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. Amen. If you would just sink into that for a moment. Amen. All right, if you would be seated for me. And kids, uh, if you are um, to up to four, it's now time for the kids' room. All right, our kids are headed down there, our younger kids. Big kids, are you still in here with me? Yes, we got all the big kids. Okay, big kids, our story today is called The Teeny Weenie true king, the teeny weeny true king. And it is from 1 Samuel 16. God's people had a new land. Now they wanted a king. But God is your king, Samuel told them. He is the one who looks after you best. We want a real king, they said, one we can see. God knew that a king might not be kind to his people or look after them as well as he would. But God's people didn't care. They wanted a king and they wanted him now. So God gave them a king. He was called Saul and he seemed like a good king at first. But he became proud and stopped listening to God. He didn't obey God or love God 
with his whole heart. Saul can't help me with my plan, God said. I need a king who loves me and will teach my people to love me. I need a true king. God had just the one in mind. Go to Bethlehem, God told Samuel. You'll find the new king there. Samuel's job was to listen to God and tell people what God said. So Samuel went to the little town of Bethlehem. God told Samuel to go to Jesse's house. God was going to choose one of Jesse's sons to be the new king. Jesse had seven strong sons. Now in those days, if you were going to be the king, you didn't have to be the richest or the cleverest, although that was always nice. You had to look like a king, which meant you had to be the tallest and the strongest. So you could carry the longest swords and biggest armor and defeat everyone. And it didn't hurt to be handsome either. Samuel asked Jesse to bring him each son in turn. So Jesse brought the oldest, tallest, strongest son. This must be the new king, Samuel thought. He looks like a king. But God didn't choose him. You're thinking about what he looks like on the outside, God told Samuel. But I am looking at his heart, what, what he's like on the inside. So Jesse showed Samuel his next oldest, tallest, strongest son. But God didn't choose him either. In fact, God didn't choose any of the seven sons. Samuel said, is that all? Jesse laughed. <laughs> well, there's the youngest one, but he's just the weakling of the family. He's only teeny. Bring him, said Samuel. Jesse's youngest son came running up, and God spoke quietly to Samuel. This is the one. His name was David. He has a heart like mine, God said. It is full of love. He will help me with my secret rescue plan. And one of his children's children's children will be the king. And that king will rule the world forever. Samuel, you are God's chosen king. You will be the new king one day, Samuel told him. And sure enough, when he grew up, David became king. God chose David to be king because God was getting his people ready for an even greater king who was coming. Once again, God would say, go to Bethlehem. You'll find the new king there. And there one starry night in Bethlehem, in the town of David, three wise men would find him. Will y'all pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this incredible story of David, Father. We thank you that even though we know from your word that David was a sinful man, he made many mistakes, Father. But you describe him as a man after your own heart. Father, I pray that that would be true for each of these kids here and each of these adults, Father. That we would be a man or a woman or a child after your own heart, Father. That you would create in us a thirst for your word, Lord. That you would create in us a desire to be obedient, Father because you know the plan that you have for us, Father, and it's a plan to prosper us, Father. It's a good, good plan because you are a good, good Father. Lord, we also gather as a family and we lift up the sweet, precious baby boy David that was born this week to our church family, Father, David Eichner. Father, um, just like this David, Father, um, he is tiny right now, Lord. 
but you are making him strong. So Father, we pray that you would help his lungs to become stronger, Father, that he might be able to go home soon to his mom and his dad. Father, we pray that this precious baby boy, David, would also grow up to be a man after your own heart, Lord. We pray for his salvation one day. Father, we pray that he would grow up knowing what it is to love you with his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, open our hearts to be able to hear the words that you're going to speak to us today, that we might have teachable, soft hearts, Lord, and that we would walk out of here being changed, Father, being made to look more and more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, good morning, Mercy Hill. Grab a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 21. You guys awake? Kind of, sort of? All right, we're going to have some discussion in a minute, so make sure you're awake, paying attention. John 21, it's always uh, kind of a sad note whenever we finish a book of the Bible. We've been studying this gospel for 48 weeks, so almost a full year. Today, we wrap it up, John 21. We're going to begin reading. I'm going to begin reading in verse 20. So follow along as I read. John 21, verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but... If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. As we've studied the Gospel of John over the last year, we've seen John's purpose come true in our lives. John's purpose in writing this book, his theme was found in the last chapter, in John chapter 20, in verse 31. And if you don't have it underlined or highlighted, you'll want to do that. John said, but these things are written. I've written these things down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that in believing, you may have life in his name. And praise God, over the last 48 weeks, we have seen men, women, and children come to know Jesus for the first time. Jesus is still redeeming men, women, and children and drawing them to himself. Praise God. Amen. We have seen God redeem the hearts of Uh, men, women, and children over the last 48 weeks. We've also seen God at work in the hearts of believers who have known Him for years. I got this email from a church member last week. They said, One tenet of my faith in believing in Jesus is how the 11 disciples 
And Paul, for that matter, radically changed the course of their lives after seeing the risen Jesus. No one would ever make that change unless they were wholly convinced. And certainly not 11 of them. I thought truly believing in the risen Jesus changes everything, and it does. But I fully understood Sunday through your words on John 21, that's only part of it. The disciples had already seen the risen Jesus twice by John 21. And they hadn't really changed. At least not in a radical way. They were simply doing the exact same thing they had done before they ever met Jesus. Fishing for fish. The very last thing Jesus ever said to Peter in the flesh was, You follow me. And it also happens to be the very first thing Jesus ever said to Peter over three years prior. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This person went on to conclude, Believing is certainly hugely important. Salvation depends on it. But following is what Jesus really wants with our time and our days. That's what he was always most interested in. The two are certainly related, but I know I've spent far too much time in my faith the last couple of decades focusing on believing for myself and also helping others in my life do so, and not nearly enough on following for myself and also helping others in my life to do the same. Praise God. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Meaning, it's not enough to simply believe and check the box and continue living our lives. Like my friend Todd says, most of us in the religious South live with a little Jesus sprinkled on top. That is not the Christian life. And we don't experience life because we don't walk in the way of Jesus. And so, We've been looking over the last few weeks. What does it look like to know Jesus and to truth? is a memorable one. I hope you will remember it. I've entitled it in such a way that I hope that you might. And that it might relate to you in the South. This message is entitled, Follow Me and Mind Your Business. If you don't know this term, mind your business, you're probably not from the South. Um, I did a little research this week, and what I came to discover um, is that although this term is used by multiple ethnicities in both genders, I feel certain it would have an African-American heritage, particularly of a female origin, in the way in which I have experienced it, in which no matter how it is stated, there is a certain unstated threat beneath this phrase in which the lower and quieter in which it is said the threat becomes greater. Mind your business. And the threat always comes um, if the advice isn't heeded. There's some swift and effective home training that will follow that will force the individual to heed this advice Otherwise known as a command, mind your business. The context of this final portion of the story is highly significant. And it relates to each of us today. Peter's restoration is the context. We looked at it last week. If you missed that sermon, you need to go back and listen to it. 
It's Peter's restoration. Jesus has called Peter to follow him in the same way that he had originally called him. By getting his attention in a way that was specific and meaningful to Peter. With a large catch of fish. 153, John tells us. And three times Jesus has asked Peter, do you love me? In order to signify the forgiveness and the restoration that he was extending to Peter. And now we see Peter's response and just how quickly we can lose sight of Jesus. Just how quickly Peter lost sight and just how quickly we too can lose sight of Jesus as we seek to follow him. And this is my burden today. If there's a big idea for today, it's this. How many of you have lost sight of Jesus in this last year? How many of you have lost sight of Jesus, particularly in 2020? I realize that there are a lot of physical things that changed in this last year. We had nearly six months of Sundays that were virtual because of the pandemic and then HVAC issues that were related to the pandemic and being unable to get equipment installed. Almost half the year, not being able to meet in person. It's hard to believe. It was difficult. Many of you, if not most of you, have had career changes that are dramatic. You, you're working remotely. You're working virtually. All your meetings are digital. Or maybe you've even lost your job if you're a barista or a server. Just seen a downturn in, in your industry. As businesses have shut down at times, there are massive changes for all of us. Let me say that again. There are massive changes for all of us. And relationally, things changed there for a while. It felt impossible to have meaningful community with more than like two or three people outside of your family. I realized that a lot of physical things changed in the last year. But spiritually, nothing on the outside has the power to steal our joy if our hearts remain focused on Jesus. So it all comes back to our heart. This last year, we got, we got so caught up in the environment in everything that was around us. And those things began to infiltrate our lives and, and to change us. And we blamed it on all our outside circumstances. But Jesus teaches us that that's not really the problem. Our hearts are the problem. Look at Mark 7. Flip back over to Mark 7 for just a minute. I want to read you what, something that Jesus says. In Mark 7, the Pharisees are angry with Jesus because his disciples aren't following some ceremonial laws of washing before they eat. And look at what Jesus says in Mark 7 verse 18. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean, praise God, for barbecue in Memphis. And he said... What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from, within our, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It comes from within, Jesus says. And so we see that it's not the pandemic or racial unrest or economic downturn or, or a highly charged political environment that causes us to lose sight of Jesus, but rather it's things that come from within our hearts. And so we have to examine our hearts. 
And this last year has served as a time of examination in which what is inside of us has been squeezed out. And so a lot of people will say, they'll look at the church and they'll say, man, is, is the church going to survive this? All the pandemic did was just show us what was really going on in our hearts before 2020. Nothing really changed. My burden is how many of us have lost sight of Jesus in this last year. Here's an examination. How to know if you've lost sight of Jesus. If you're no longer passionate about knowing Him and His Word. Particularly daily. And I mean passionate about meeting with Him in His Word. If you're no longer caring for the needs of others in His body. If you're no longer praying and seeking to share the love of Jesus with those who don't yet know Him. Seeking to be on mission. That's what He's called us to do. Is the vocation of all of our lives. If this is you, stay tuned. Because Peter is going to help us today to gain hope. And he's going to help us to know how we can find joy and purpose in following Jesus. And how to mind your business. Okay? So let's, let's dive into observing a couple of things from this particular text. I want to ask you a question. to make sure you're awake this morning and tracking with me. So look around, find a friend. Find someone that you can talk to. Kids, it's okay. I know your parents say, don't talk during the church gathering. You can talk during this time. Here's the question. What could have caused Peter to be distracted from following Jesus? You've heard this story. Think for a minute. From the context, maybe what you remember last week. What could have caused Peter to be distracted from following Jesus? Talk among yourselves. All right, I hear some good ideas that are flowing. Let's look at the context real quick. The context is Jesus' last words before we pick up in verse 20 were, follow me. Now, it's kind of funny as you begin to read that and interpret it because those were the last words Jesus told Peter in verse 19. And usually when we hear follow me, there's a bit of mystery behind those words. There's this kind of internal struggle that goes on. Hey, how do I do this? Does this mean I'm supposed to empty my bank account? Or does this mean when I go to the grocery store and I look at all the cheeses in the cheese aisle that I'm supposed to pray about which cheese to buy? Like, What does it really mean to follow Jesus? And in this text, it's really pretty simple. It is literal and physical and even visual. Jesus is actually walking down the beach and Peter is literally following after him and John is curious so get this picture Jesus is walking Peter's behind him John's bringing up the rear and Peter sees John and he asks what about this man what's going on here why, why is Peter already distracting him? Well, if you look back at verse 18, if you weren't here this last week, Jesus told Peter what type of death he was going to die. And this gets Peter to thinking. And I'm guessing it's still not quite the glorious position he had in mind in being one of Jesus' inner circle. And so he turns and he sees John, who's another member of that inner three, Peter, James, and John. And he asks Jesus about him just to make sure that he's not going to miss out on something. Is John's life going to be better? 
Is John's life going to be more prestigious or more powerful or more popular or safer or more comfortable than mine? Now, we really can't relate to that very well, can we? I mean, we've never gotten on social media and seen someone at the lake or seen someone at the ocean or seen someone at the mountains and thought to ourselves, man, maybe you just wish you had money to go out to the restaurant that you see someone going out to. Like, we struggle with envy and comparison and selfish ambition and pride all the time. James chapter 3 actually says it's demonic. Jesus rebukes Peter and he responds, mind your business. Look at verse 22. If I want him to live until I return, what is that to you? It's my business, not yours. You follow me. You follow me. My burden is how many of you have lost sight of Jesus in this last year? Are you following him? I'm not talking about having a knowledge of Jesus or a knowledge of the truths of the gospel. believe that Jesus is still revealing himself today through the Holy Spirit in personal and specific ways on a daily basis. If you don't, you will not see him. And if you don't believe that the Holy Spirit is powerful and at work, and that Jesus is revealing Himself and His ways to you on a daily basis, you will not follow Him. What happened to Peter that caused him to take his eyes off of Jesus? He literally turned away, he turned around, and he focused his attention on something else. Keep our eyes on Jesus. And these are three ways that are specific for Mercy Hill Church, for this congregation. I thought about us this week as I prayed. If I, if I preached this sermon somewhere else, it would probably be three different things. These are three specific ways that we can keep our eyes on Jesus. The first is this. Encountering Jesus in the Scriptures daily. Don't check out on this. It's not what you think. Encountering Jesus in the Scriptures daily. Most Christians in what I call the former religious South, which is where we live, are, most Christians are so familiar with Scripture that it's nothing more than a flannel board story to them and a duty to and look for happiness and answers and wisdom and almost never go to the Scriptures for it. Even when we have troubles. I'll prove it to you. When you have counseled someone this last week, and, and all of you counseled someone, most likely, your child came to you, a coworker came to you, someone was struggling with a problem in their marriage, in their career, they're trying to make a decision. As you counseled them, how many of you shared Scripture with them? I would dare say very few of you. And here's why. We have a system in the You know about it. You've heard it. It's familiar. But you have very little idea how to apply it to your life. And you're really not even interested in applying it to your life. Because you only see the scripture as a duty to be fulfilled. In order to find acceptance in God. It's not a delight. In which you delight in finding Jesus in the Scriptures. And in which you know that He gives you life. And that He gives you power for living. 
Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You are beginning to be discipled just one-on-one and one-on-two. And they begin memorizing Scripture. And there's this old navigator's phrase that says that man is always looking for better methods, but God is always looking for better men. And the way to become a better man is to apply God's Word to our heart, to store it up into our heart, to hide it in our heart, so that we're changed by it. And then as we're changed by it, we have real change to share with someone else. It's not just words on a page. It's something that's radically transformed our, helps us to be transformed by the Word of God, and then we can use it to help others in, in simple and practical ways. Like, one of the issues in the religious South is that we have made the Scriptures, we have Far more resources than we've ever had before when it comes to commentaries and online resources. And it's made us far dumber. Technology makes us dumber. It doesn't make us smarter. People who grew up before the printing press knew the scriptures better than we do. Good Jewish boys would memorize the Torah. They were taught from the very moment that they could begin to speak, they were taught the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. You shall bind them around your neck and on your head. They were taught the Word of God in a way that was as they went into all of life. And we show up on Sunday morning hearing from someone who has studied all week long, who communicates really well, who sounds like they know what they're talking about. And then we listen to that and we think we know the Scriptures as well. And we do not. Because we sprinkle a little Jesus on top. Psalm 119.105 says, path. One thing that I have learned over the last 20 years of doing ministry is that I put very little confidence in what happens on Sunday mornings. Now that doesn't mean that this time isn't important. But I have pastored long enough that when I leave a church and go back, I notice that most of the people, they don't stick around. They change church families about every three to five years. But if you say, Brad, who do you put confidence in? Why do you do this? You want to know why I do this teaching gig? You know why I preach on Sunday mornings, pastor of church? Listen, Tucker. Because that brother loves Jesus. And if Jesus says, go anywhere all over the world, he's got a wife who believes in him and who follows Jesus. And they're training their kids up to follow Jesus. He's a missions pastor in Nashville. He worked for Smoothie King. When I was discipling him and he was waiting on the Lord. Lord, I don't want to work for Smoothie King anymore. I'm sick of cutting checks and hiring teenagers who won't show up for work. And God slowly over time disciplined him and brought him to a place and put him in a place of ministry. I'm confident in what God's doing in Justin Tucker. Went back a few years ago and preached his ordination service. Writing songs in Nashville. He's, he's writing songs that you would recognize if you heard them. 
and confident what God's doing in David Ginsheimer. Even though he went away from the Lord for a little while, he came back to the Lord. Confident what God's doing in Matt Wynn. Confident in what God's doing in Brian Carter. These are men that I spent time with that none of y'all know about and no one knows about. Because it wasn't at 10 a.m. on a Sunday. It was at 5 a.m. on a Monday. Confident of what God does when we get in His Word and we follow His plan, which is to make disciples. And I think that we'll only pursue the Word of God in community. And my best advice to you is that you would make it a commitment to say, I am going to make Sunday morning a commitment in my life. I am going to be with believers. I am going to make missional community, my small group, a commitment in my life. Let me tell you all how a commitment works because most of y'all don't know. A commitment works, this thing on your phone called a calendar that you use for every other part of your life that helps you show up to work on time and somehow you miraculously make it to every appointment during the week on time. But when it comes to the church gathering, oh my goodness, it's our... Come on. We see through that. That's got nothing to do with your calendar and everything to do with your heart. I'm not telling you that you need to make these commitments out of a duty to Jesus. I'm saying that if you have any chance of following Him and delighting in Him, that you would say, this is the priority of my life. If I have any chance of my marriage sticking together, if I have any chance of being a good father, and yes, I'm preaching to the dads, then I'm going to get in the Word of God daily, and I'm going to say, family, we are going to meet with the people of God. It, our society has become pathetic. I think the Christian Sundays a month. Give me a break. Give me a break. 1.6 out of 4, and he's the commitment of our life. Talk with friends this last week. They said we constantly call on people in our small groups to pray. They look at us and say, we don't pray in public. To which my response is, and they don't pray in private either. They're probably not believers. You should pray for them. Talked to a friend in the Burbs. He said, at Easter now, we have folks who are on our volunteer team who say, hey, we can't, we, we won't be there this Easter because our kids are on travel teams and they've got a tournament. And listen, I don't blame the world at all for that. Golly, Christians, don't you dare show up. Don't you dare show up. You follow Jesus. Or do you? This is the society in which we live. And so if you are measuring whether you're following Jesus by the people who are around you at work who claim to be Christians, if your life doesn't look marketably different than theirs, then you're not following Jesus. You're just not. We will not follow Jesus outside of community. It is not a long-ranger sport. And when we follow Jesus in community, God begins to work on our hearts. Because iron that was offensive today, that wasn't, that the Holy Spirit didn't give me, that was just fleshly, and somebody's going to email me about it, and I'm going to have to own it and ask for your forgiveness. Because that's what community does. We will not follow Jesus unless we follow Him in community and commit to, to meet with Him in His Word. The second thing that we see, don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. In man 2020, 
Woo! We got entangled in civilian pursuits. Flip over to 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. And trust the soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. If there was a year to become entangled in civilian pursuits, it was 2020. And if you, I, I know that people's instant response is going to be to say, but Brad, all these social justice issues are important. I agree. I agree. But the moment that we become more fixated and more idolized on social justice issues than we do on Jesus, go back and track the amount of minutes that you spent reading, watching, and listening to news and in prayer, and you tell me what your heart was focused on. Don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. One of the biggest ways that we do that is technology. And I'm telling you, technology makes us dumber. You look it up, our attention span is less than that of a, gold, of a goldfish. And it's dropping. It's eight seconds. A goldfish is nine. It's dropping because of technology. To give you a quick comparison, you can read a 200-page book in about six hours, is what the average American can read a 200-page book in. That means in 600 hours a year, you could read... How many books? That if you read a hundred books in this next year, that would be pretty good for most of you. Is that fair? Anybody read 200 last year? Probably not. So if you read a hundred books in the next year, that'd be pretty good. It'd only take 600 hours. The average American spends 705 hours on social media. So if you just took your social media time and read books, you could read a hundred books. Now remember, 600 hours to read 100 books, about 700 hours on social media, 2,700 hours watching TV. 2,700 a year. And here's the danger. Hops. So I'm just going to ask, what are you focused on? One of the things that I have found is that uh, if you don't have screen time turned on on your phone, please turn screen time on. You have to start monitoring how much screen time you're using. A couple of things that I've done is I don't take my phone with me into the bedroom anymore. I, I don't want to wake up with it. I don't want to go to sleep with it. So I bought a digital clock. And we have to begin monitoring how much time we're on our screens. Because how we spend our time is how we spend our lives. The third thing that I'll say really quickly is be aware of the thorns. This passage, uh, y'all know the parable of the sower? Jesus says, hey, a sower went out to sow and he takes seed. It represents the kingdom of God and he casts this seed onto different types of soil. The four soils represent different hearts. The first soil is a, a path and the birds come and pick up the seed. The second soil is rocky and so the seed springs up joyfully. Woohoo! Following Jesus! Doesn't have deep roots. The sun comes out and scorches it. The third seed is what bothers me. Because most of you, when I talk about the parable of the soils, most of you think, my heart is good soil. And when I read about the thorns, look at Mark 4, verse 18. As Jesus are the ones sown among thorns. 
They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. That passage has rattled me. The cares of the world, family, career, dreams, social justice issues, you name it. The deceitfulness of riches. If you aren't aware of the deceitfulness of riches and aligning your life in such a way that you have boundaries so that you aren't being pulled in by the deceitfulness of riches, then it's probably already too late. The desire for other things, man, you look around in our world. Amazon Prime, Facebook and Instagram, you don't even have to go looking for it. They just, they listen to you and they send it to you. If you don't have a desire for other things, we'll find out through AI what you really desire that you didn't even know you desired and then we'll market it to you and you'll be buying it before you know it. We live in a world, folks, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Unless we make it the priority of our lives to follow Jesus and to meet with Him and make Him the priority above all else, career, family, any other relationship, we will not follow Him. We will be distracted. My burden is how many of you have lost sight of Jesus in the last year? The question, I hope that you're frustrated by now. And for most of us, if I just ended the message here, and probably far too often in churches we do, for most of us the result is, man, he seemed really passionate, and it sounds like i got a lot of work to do. We go straight to duty. So let me take you to Matthew 11, 28-30, as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper and just to listen to the Spirit and what He wants to reveal to us today. If you've lost sight of Jesus and if you've turned your eyes on other things and you need to turn your eyes on Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Again, are you laboring? Are you heavy laden? He's covering everything there. If you labor, that's the people who are trying to crowbar their way through life. They think it's all up to them. If you're heavy laden, that means that you are weighted down with the cares of this world. Things that you have taken on is your responsibility that are not yours. Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my teaching upon you. Take my way of life upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want to know what surprised people about Jesus' teaching the most? That his yoke was easy. That he didn't have all these tons of rules and regulations and requirements. I mean, he would demand all of your life. But it began with, just follow me. 
You say, I don't know what that looks like. Go back to John 5, 19. Jesus did only what he saw the Father doing. When you look at your life, are you doing things that God has called you to do? My advice to you is, if you have career decisions to make, if you have big decisions to make, if you're buying a house, if you're spending a lot of money, if you have small decisions to make, maybe something about your kids, don't make those decisions until Jesus calls you to do it. In fact, I would say you don't have permission to make those decisions until Jesus shows you what he is calling you to do. Jesus said, I only do what the Father calls me to do. When you begin to live life in that way, you will find rest. Because you have to stop doing some things first. It gives you permission to go and spend time with Jesus. You say, I have no idea how to hear that from the Holy Spirit. Well, get in community and get with Jesus in his word. And find a good friend and say, I need to learn how to hear from the Spirit. Email me. I'll, I'll link you up with someone. There's a bunch of people in our church who would love to do lunch with you and just teach you how to have a quiet time and how to hear from the Spirit in your life so that you can follow Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you would... Uh, as we end today, I just want you just to make some space in your heart for the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. I know I've said a lot of things today as we finish John. I've said some hard things. I always hope that hard teaching produces tender hearts. And so I don't say hard things uh, because I like saying hard things. Uh, I actually don't like them. I usually go home after uh, a sermon like this and say, Oh my goodness, what in the world did I do today? Everybody's going to leave. <laughs> That'd be okay. There's communion at the end of each of your row. And as you make space in your heart today, this is not just the time in our service where we're just supposed to prepare to end, but I really want you to begin just to take a minute. I'm going to ask Michael if he would just to come on up and just to begin to play. and The band can wander up when they're ready. But as you take communion, you'll see that there are these little cups. And we invite everyone who is a follower of Jesus to join us this is only for followers of Jesus, okay? It wouldn't be meaningful to you if you haven't followed Him. Um, give this thing a shake. It takes, tastes a little better that way. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you take... Christ's body today that's broken for us. Examine your hearts. Are you following Jesus? Verse 25 says, In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Bow your heads with me. And Father, thank you for the way in which you've given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. God, we get so distracted 
by the people who are around us. Uh, God, we get distracted by the world, the news, technology. God, I know that Satan's desire is to turn our eyes away from you. And God, the greatest fight of our life is it won't be for our marriages. Uh, God, it won't be for our kids. It won't be for our career. And especially in America, it won't be just to feed ourselves and keep shelter over us. God, the greatest fight in our lives will be to stay in relationship with you and to keep our eyes upon you. And so, Holy Spirit, I want to pray right now that you would just fill our minds. God, give us a vision of where we've turned our eyes away from you. Give us a picture of where that spot was, when that moment was, where we were following you. God, whether it was we drew a line in the sand and said, I'm done. God, whether it was that our heart was hurt by someone, we refused to forgive them. God, whether it was a family member who had just became too much and the rock was too much and we just said, I'm dropping it and I'm walking away, but we walked away from you too. God, would you bring healing to our hearts? Jesus, you healed people. All that was required that you said, do you want to be healed? And then that they would follow you. So God, would you bring healing to hearts today? Would you show us where we've turned away from you? God, let us repent. And let us begin again to follow you. God, show us what that looks like. What we need to do. How you're calling us to obedience. Whether it's a relationship that we need to go and ask forgiveness. God, whether it's a relationship that needs to be reconciled. God, I just, I just sense that so many of the ways in which we are broken in our relationship with you has to do with ways in which we're broken in relationship with people who are around us. And God, the more that I meet with people in our church body and the more that I know believers, God, the more that I see that as relationships are healed, God, our relationship with you grows and is strengthened. So God, I pray for relational healing. God, come and do your work in us. God, we're, we're a little church. God, we're in a town that's a lot like Nazareth. What good could come from this place? But yet, God, we see your spirit at work changing people, changing hearts, changing lives. God, giving people vision for the world. God, giving people vision to disciple their children and to to meet with you in the scriptures and to make this a priority of their lives. God, all across this congregation, there are men who are, they've got little little three by five cards in their pocket because they're memorizing your scriptures. They're storing your word up in their hearts so that they would be changed, so that they would look to you for vision and direction in their life. And God, their lives are never going to be the same. God, would you do something in us as we follow you? that can't be produced by man but that brings you great glory as we follow you that's all you've asked us to do to make the priority of our life to rest in you and then to listen to your voice and obey and follow you and that's enough
Hey, I've got a quick announcement. I meant to say this during my sermon. Next week, we're going to do something that's a little different. Um, we're going to have an open mic time next Sunday. And what we would love to do is to hear from many of you about how God has been at work in your family this last year. Um, answered prayer, things that are struggles. And we just want to hear from our church body. This is not going to be on the live stream. We're not going to record this. And so um, for those of you who are watching uh, out there and you've been on the live stream, it's a great time to come back. We've got about less than 100 people here. We've got room for 400. You can wear a mask. We're wearing masks. You can sit in the balcony. It's a great time to come back. This will not be on the live stream next week because it's going to be an intimate time. We want to hear from you what God's doing in your life. And it will give us a chance to know where we need to go in terms of study in the scriptures moving forward. So be thinking about that this next week. We'd love to hear from all the households. Just kind of a brief summary. It may just be that you come up and say, hey, this is the way in which we've struggled in this last year. And this is where our family needs prayer. Okay? And then we can just pray for you. So we're going to do that this next week and see how God's at work. I think that you'll really enjoy getting to hear from one another and getting kind of caught up after a year in which we've all been separated in a lot of ways. So I'm looking forward to that, uh, especially head of households. Think about what you want to share and uh, how you want to prepare for that time. Well, all right, real quick, uh, we're going to close with a benediction. But before we do, after listening to a heavy sermon that... You may, you may uh, be frustrated right now, whatever. There's two things that you can do. One, take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Don't take it to your friend. Take it to Jesus. And then number two, take it to Jesus in community. Those are the two things that you can immediately do. So uh, missional communities meet throughout the week. If you're not part of a missional community and Brad mentioned it, and you're like, hmm, I wonder what that's all about. Uh, come see me. Come see Brad. We'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, but healing... And working through hard things is only going to happen with Jesus in community with one another. So uh, let me encourage you there. We're going to close with a benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. So if you guys would receive that this morning. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Mercy Hill Church, you guys are dismissed.